Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Renoites. My name is Connor McQuibby. I'm your host as always. Thank you for joining me. This week's episode is actually a bonus episode, another one of our live episodes recorded at Black Rabbit Mead recently. We are between seasons right now. I finished up the last season at the end of October and coming back with new episodes in the beginning of January, a whole new season in just a couple short weeks. But this is one of our live bonus episodes we've done at Black Rabbit Mead in the recent months. We basically do a live episode taping. So if you want to come meet the guests, chat with us, have a drink, and attend a live taping that turns into a podcast episode, keep an eye on my Instagram page. That's at Renoites for the next live taping, probably in January for the next one. If you have any guest suggestions, now is a great time to send those in. My email address is Connor, C-O-N-O-R, at Renoites.com. My guests on this special live episode are Rachel McIntyre and Jesse Phillips, the founders and co-owners of Wild Marketplace, Wandering Wild, Wild Women Networking, a whole bunch of different businesses associated with the local crafter maker retail space. Also co-working at the Virgil, a bunch of different local businesses. This conversation is mostly about entrepreneurship, running small businesses, building small businesses, serial entrepreneurship, pivoting when things change and don't go your way. A lot of really interesting stuff about small business. Also, the Wild Marketplace has a pop-up shop at the Reno Public Market. It's going to be a permanent space starting in January, but for the holidays, they have a pop-up market there. That's Reno Public Market at Plum in Virginia. It used to be Shopper Square. So if you have Christmas shopping to do, that's a great place to shop from some local makers. If you'd like to help support this show financially, you can do that. This is a listener-funded podcast. If you go to patreon.com slash renoites, you can support the show financially, sign up to throw a couple bucks in the virtual tip jar. really makes a huge difference to make the show financially sustainable. And now, this week's guests, Rachel McIntyre and Jesse Phillips. How are you feeling? So good. Oh, good, good. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this live taping of the Renoites podcast. Uh, some of you I know already, I think most of you are familiar with the show already, but I will tell you about, oh, yeah, clap for you. Absolutely. Welcome. Thank you for being here. So for folks who don't know, I'll tell you a little bit about the Renoites podcast before I introduce our guests for this episode. My name is Connor McQuivy. I am the host of Renoites. It's a local interview show. So we do weekly episodes. It's long form interviews with various people, um, government people, you know, nonprofits, business people, a little bit of everyone. And the point of the show I started a couple years ago is we didn't really have, I love long form interview shows and Reno did not have a local long form interview show with all of the people who are doing important things in town. So I started a couple years ago. It's been really, really great. And the last handful of months, we've been lucky enough to have live episode tapings here at Black Rabbit Mead. So we're recording this live at Black Rabbit Mead. Thank you so much to the folks in Black Rabbit Mead, uh, Will for inviting us. Can we give a round of applause for the Black Rabbit Mead folks? It's been really, really great to be able to do these live episodes. Uh, before we get, get into the interview today and introduce our guests, uh, if you enjoy this episode, whether you're here in person or listening online, a couple ways you can support the show. Follow us on Instagram at Renoites if you do not do that yet. Um, also, this is a fully listener-funded show. Uh, I don't have sponsors right now. I'm not actually looking to do a lot of ads. I'd rather have this show be supported by listeners. So if you want to support the show financially, you can do that at patreon.com slash renoites. So thank you for your support. Thank you for being here. And without further ado, let's get into today's episode here at Black Rabbit Mead. Our guests today are the founders of Wild Marketplace, Wandering Wild, Wild Women Networking, and various other wild businesses. Um, 
Rachel McIntyre and Jesse Phillips. Thank you for coming on the show today. Excellent. So to start, uh, can you just tell us a little bit about what the Wild Marketplace is? So I know that it has been a series of kind of pop-up events, um, retail pop-up events for local makers, but you're about to have a permanent space at the Reno Public Market. So can you start by kind of introducing yourself and talking about what the Wild Marketplace is and uh, how it came to be? Sure thing. Shall I kick us off? Awesome. Um, so my name is Rachel McIntyre. I am one of the two co-founders and co-creators of a company called Wandering Wild, which is an experiential marketing company um, designed to support the creative and micro-entrepreneur com- uh, businesses that are located here in uh, the Sierra Nevadas. Wild Market is a platform designed to help local creatives and makers provide a platform for them to share, share their craft and grow a small business. Um, and it started as kind of pop-up events, right? So what is the, the draw of the pop-up event? You said like micro, what do you, what do you call them? Micro entrepreneurs. Yeah. What's an, what's a micro entrepreneur (laughs) and why does the pop-up model work for those type of, uh, entrepreneurs? So the reason that the pop-up really pop-ups took form with wild market because we didn't have a consistent platform for creatives and artists to really share their craft throughout the year. We moved to Reno or I moved to Reno in 2016 and I really quickly met a ton of incredible artists and creatives and all they needed was a platform, like a space, a literal space to grow their, share their craft and tell the world about the cool shit that they make. And we had this thing in Reno, we have this thing called Art Town, but it happens once a year. And I was just super flabbergasted that we have this amazing platform once a year, but what exists beyond that once a year? And um, I moved here from Portland, Oregon. Portland had this event called Saturday Market. It's a Saturday and Sunday pop-up artisan event that happens on the Riverwalk, and it's beautiful and incredible. We have, a, we have an amazing Riverwalk in downtown Reno. And I was like, wow, nothing happens here. We should create some cool shit to happen here for artists. Um, Fast forward, uh, I met Jesse through that. And about six months after starting the business, uh, reached out to her and said, hey, you should quit your job and come do some cool shit with me. I can't pay you, but I bet someday we'll make money. (laughs) So quit your job and come do this really cool thing with me. And for some crazy reason, she said yes. Um, So we went out on a mission really, truly to create opportunities for artisan craft makers to develop small businesses. And for us, when we think about micro entrepreneurs, micro entrepreneurs are people who have a small business uh, with one, two, three employees. Like it's small. For some of them, they're solopreneurs, meaning that they are the the, the one, the only person in their business. And, um, pop-up markets allow for people to have a, a space, a physical, if you will, a physical brick, brick and mortar, um, to share their products with the world and get FaceTime with their community without having to pay the astronomical rent rates that exist to have your own independent brick and mortar. Gotcha. And, uh, so Jesse, how did you end up working at so Rachel talked you into leaving your job and, uh, doing this all of the time. Uh, how do you work together? What is, what do you focus on and how do you kind of work as a team on these things? We are in a lot of ways very opposite, um, which I think is uh, like where our, our maybe genius and creative like power exists. Um, uh, 
I'm not really sure how to answer your question, to be honest. <laughs> That's fine. I know. So uh, you mentioned earlier that you're more of a like a behind the scenes person. Yes, yes. Um, and Rachel's more of the like in events like this, when you're doing media and things, you yes. said, oh, yeah, Rachel does the media stuff. And I'm kind of I'm behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, so our official titles that we gave ourselves three years ago when we decided we should have official titles that we were actually like running a business together. Um, <laughs> I'm the, I'm the COO. I'm, I'm the chief operating officer. Um, so my, uh, I love to ideate and create with my very creative visionary partner. Um, but where I really enjoy like doing the work is in creating the systems and the the foundation that we need in order to actually execute and be really successful in putting the vision out to the community. Gotcha. I get that. It's kind of hard as a a solopreneur or whatever you want to call it doing this show myself because I have to do a lot of the behind the scenes and the planning and the kind of production. But then I also have to be the one who's out like talking about it and selling it and being uh, in front of the microphone and, you know, literally in front of people. Uh, So I I feel the struggle with being a behind-the-scenes person who has to do the the in-front-of-the-scenes stuff. So I understand uh, it can be a challenge sometimes. Yeah, I... I, I joke a lot that like we have a very social job and a, and and I am a I'm a, a introvert at my core. <laughs> so this is like very challenging for me, very uncomfortable and also, you know, I'm I'm down for 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 the growth and and to feel it out, but I love um, that. Yeah. Yeah, you got to try new things, right? Yes. Um so you talked a little bit about the the pop-up markets, but the next big thing you're doing is this uh permanent location at the Reno Public Market. So can you talk a little bit about the Reno Public Market project and kind of that transition or that uh, that work from bringing the pop-up model to a more permanent location? Yeah. So Reno Public Market's been a journey. It feels like we were talking about this earlier. Has it been three years, four years? We're not sure. Um, Reno Public Market came into our sphere um, about four years ago when we went on this mission to start a co-working space. We learned pretty quickly through the the wild market events that the creatives needed more than just a platform to sell their goods. They actually needed space to create, to ideate, and a space to connect and convene and, and do the administrative side. Like Jesse said, um, she <laughs> doesn't give herself enough credit. Like I'm the fucking crazy one. I'm so you should probably put an explicit thing yeah. on your episode. <laughs> Good go for okay. it. You can swear as much so, as well. I'll, I'll tag it and you can so go. So I'm the one who like throws shit at the wall and is like, yeah. And Jesse's like, let's bring us back to earth um, and, and is the one who makes everything happen. People need space to make everything happen, like the day-to-day, whether it's your content creation, your strategic planning, all of those things. So we had this crazy idea that we were going to start a co-working space designed for creatives. And that's actually how we got involved with Foothills and um, the Reno Public Market team. We very quickly learned that there is absolutely no money in co-working <laughs> unless you're going to open multiple facilities, multiple properties, which we really didn't want to do. Um, we just wanted to provide an affordable and accessible space for the creative community to show up and work. Um, when we learned that that wasn't, that wasn't going to be the, the project that we brought to life at Reno public market, we kind of surrendered to that. Um, the developers had come to one of our events at the Eddie, which is actually shout out to Phil and Jared and the team at the Eddie. They gave us our, our birthplace for wild market. And, um, what I guess we could credit to the birthplace of um, the wild marketplace at Reno Public Market. 
Doug Wiley came and and saw what we were creating. And he was like, this is what we need at Reno Public Market. We need a day table artisan marketplace. Many of us who like to travel to other cities, be it Denver, Seattle, New York, Austin, there are a lot of artisan markets that, that exist. And we didn't we don't have one in Reno yet. We have this incredible creative community through Burning Man, through Art Town, um, and frankly, just through like the creative genius that exists in Reno. So we're really excited to in in a sense be retiring our 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 pop-up hat, if you will, and opening a permanent brick and mortar inside of Reno Public Market. Uh, we are a three thousand square foot artisan marketplace that opens in January. Nice. Yeah, I know you mentioned you're a serial entrepreneur. I think you described yourself as on the the Wild website. And in being a serial entrepreneur, trying a bunch of different things, oftentimes you do kind of you pivot, you change. So can you talk a little bit about kind of how the Wild? projects or the wild brand has kind of shifted or pivoted over time. Like you said, you're kind of, you know, retiring more of the pop-up and doing more of the in-person. Um, what has that been like kind of trying things that may or may not work and kind of what's the experience as a, uh, you know, a serial entrepreneur who has to, you know, change with the time sometimes. I look at Jesse and, <laughs> and we chuckle right now because we were just having this conversation over dinner um, as we're about to pivot again a bit in 2023. Um, being a serial entrepreneur means being willing to humble yourself to failure and acknowledge when things are working and leaning into them and acknowledging when things are not working and accepting failure. And failure doesn't necessarily mean defeat. Um, failure can mean that your landscape and your market has changed. So for us, uh, when we started Wild Market back in 2018, there were no pop-up markets. We were the only we were the only space where you could go and pop up. Um, pop-up markets are really expensive to produce when you do them like on the legit with the city of Reno. Uh, you have to pay a lot of exorbitant fees with the city. Uh, you have to have licensing. You have to have insurance. You have to pay daily vendor permits. You have to have marketing expenses. And then you have to fucking get people there because you don't want to charge your vendors to be there. And then it's like, cool. We all just spent everything we made on our beer. <laughs> you have to actually like provide a platform where creatives can generate revenue. And we learned pretty quickly that the cost of production for a pop-up event surpassed. And frankly, like we were operating at a loss for the first three years with pop-up events. Um, and in that time, a number of other people decided like, hey, pop-ups are cool. Let's do pop-up events. And so, you know, for us, we wanted to lean into what our niche was. And we found this developer um, on Wells Avenue who's really passionate about that neighborhood. And he had a vacant property. And he said, hey, like, I love what you guys are doing at the Eddy. I got this vacant space. I, I want to find someone to rent it, but no one's renting it. Will you guys like do your market there for the holiday? And we did our first pop-up retail space and it crushed. And what was so cool about that was our vendors had the opportunity to just drop off their goods and then leave. So many makers don't like we, we operate in this like really fast and, and creative space. We don't slow down enough to think about our time. Our time is our greatest commodity and many creatives aren't factoring their time in when they look at how much money they're making at the end of an event. And so for a lot of people, by the time they pay their vendor fee, by the time they pay their cost of goods, by the time they pay their 
um, that the, maybe just maybe they decide to factor in labor for what it costs to produce this 10 hour event by the time they're done setting up their booth. A lot of people were losing money. And so we thought, you know, this, this pop-up market crushed. People didn't have to be there. And so we gave them their greatest commodity back. We gave them back their time and they still got to make money. So we decided to lean into this idea of brick and mortar in a unique and innovative way. Um, we did, we've done four, pop-up markets since then that are physical spaces. And that's our unique niche. We decided last year to kind of surrender the outdoor pop-up market thing because there's a lot of other spaces and opportunities for you to do that now. There's festivals, there's events like the Elma State has an event going on tonight that's incredible. And we want to support and promote those events. And we want to provide a unique opportunity that no one else is doing. And that's a physical brick and mortar where you can come drop off your goods, a lot of people can't afford to wholesale. Their margins aren't there. And so um, the way that we work on consignment with our makers allows for them to truly grow a business and have this new platform and get their time back. Gotcha. Sorry for my ramble. No, that's good. What, how, <laughs> how many vendors are there going to be at this new permanent location? And kind of what is the look and feel going to be like of the permanent wild market at Reno Public Market? Um, so right now for the holiday pop-up, um, we originally envisioned that we would be open in our permanent space by, by this time. Um, we, we pivoted. <laughs> um, so we have 3,000 square feet, like Rach mentioned. Um, we pivoted to 800 square feet which was definitely a challenge. Um, but we still are representing about, I think we're at like 68 plus makers in that space. Um, I think the vision when we move into our, our bigger space is um, 100 plus. Um, and there is an element that we're really excited about, which is this idea of um, <clears throat> day table rentals. So we will have um, kind of a... a a boutique shopping experience. You walk into a store and you see a lot of really cool goods. Um, and then we'll also have on a rotating basis an opportunity for people who maybe aren't quite ready to like be part of the collective. Maybe they don't have the ability to make or stock or you know provide the inventory levels, but they can still come um, for a day, a weekend, a week at a time and have a presence in our space. Gotcha. Yeah. And I know that like the arts and culture is a big part of this project too. I had Nettie Oliverio, who's one of the developers, the Reno public market on the show a couple or month ago or so. And she used to be on the arts and culture commission for the city. She's on the board of the pioneer center. So very much an arts and culture person. And I know that's a big part of the Reno public market. So can you talk a little bit about kind of the arts and obviously it's makers, so there's an artistic element of everything that's happening in there. But can you talk a little bit about the just arts and culture and how they how you would like them to interact with commerce? Because those things sometimes seem like they're from different worlds, right? The arts world is not necessarily a money maker, um, but it could be or should be. So can you talk a little bit about kind of the arts and culture piece of uh, both this market in particular and just wild in general? Yeah, I love this question. Um, I think it taps into why Jesse and I nerd out on what we do. Um, so our collective represents over 250 makers across the Sierra Nevadas. And an overarching theme that we've identified is that so many of them don't know how to value themselves and, and don't know their worth. And that's where we get to come in. So arts and culture, like, like you said, 
so often we think of commerce and profitability as this like ugly, dirty thing, right? Like, well, I'm an artist. Well, yeah. And your shit's really fucking cool. And your time is just as valuable as like anybody working for a corporation. Like it's just as valuable, if not more valuable. We can put Tesla, Google, Apple, Amazon, we can put all the data centers, all the warehouses, all of the tech companies in the world here in Reno. But if we don't have a thriving heartbeat in our community that is centered around celebrating artistic expression, the people who are actually coming to fill those jobs won't want to move here. (laughs) So when you think about what makes a city a community, it's arts and culture. And that's what drew us to the Reno Public Market Project was you know, the vision behind being the hub for arts and culture. Um, there is a 10,000 square foot maker space with artist studios um, through Maker's Paradise. There is an art gallery there. And then there's also this space through Wild Market where you're able to, you know, create your stuff with Maker's Paradise and come and sell it with us at Wild Market. We take a lot of pride in education. People ask us all the time <laughs> when we go to produce a market and they're like, oh, what do you guys make? We're like, the market. <laughs> and they're like, no, but what's your art? The, the market is our art. We love spreadsheets. We love data. We love numbers. We love sitting down with you and helping you understand your cost of goods and then helping you understand how to price your goods in a way that can actually allow you to do your shit full time. And I think that that's really where the value add of a space like Reno Public Market comes in is that it's space, but it's education, whether it's education through the workshops through Wild that we'll be offering or education through the events at Maker's Paradise. It is about coming together and saying like, everybody's art is different. And for some people, their art is numbers. <laughs> and those are the people that I think make the best partners for our creative community. Gotcha. You mentioned uh, finding the right price for items. And I know a little while back there was a little bit of press about the accessibility of the wild markets. Is it too expensive? Is it kind of too elite? Is it excluding people because of the price point? Um, so there was just like some conversation about the the diversity, the pricing, those kind of things. Can you just tell me a little bit about what happened uh, and what that experience was and kind of uh, what you learned from it and, and where you're at now? <laughs> um, all right. So we'll just like call out the elephant in the room. Uh, there was an article that came out that talked about, um, our lack of accessibility, um, a bit of ageism, um, and a lack of inclusivity and representation in the com- in the wild community. And that was hard for us. That was like super hard for us to read and to process, um, for a lot of reasons. Number one, our business has operated at a a loss for all of its years of existence until this year, last year. Um, And Jesse and I, when we quit our jobs, we both said like we can afford to pursue this vision and build this company and not pay ourselves for X number of years. For me, it was five years. For Jess, it was four because she joined me a year later. And so we said, like, we're not going to pay ourselves. We're going to live off of our savings and, like, we're going to invest everything in this because we really believe in it. So then to hear that, you know, what we thought were nominal fees were a barrier to entry for the creative community was fucking hard to hear. It was so hard to hear and so hard to digest. And it's hard not to get defensive in that space. Um, 
we started wild market with a $50 vendor fee, but we also like didn't have a budget. (laughs) So like we were just like, spend the money and we were running ads and paying city fees and insurance and permits and all these things. And then when we looked and every year we were losing money on the events, it was like, wow, like that's not sustainable. So ultimately if we want to create a platform that's sustainable, it, it can't operate at a loss. So we did a bunch of research and we found a lot of other markets around the U.S. that um, have similar models to us. Because listen, we're not here like inventing a new wheel. We're just like taking our spoke on the wheel and saying we think we can do a cool thing for Reno. Um, And we learned that there is this model of membership. And so there's a base fee that you pay and that gets you access to the events. And we paused and we gulped. Because now we're going to ask people to pay us to participate in something that we had been giving away for free. So just to get into the markets to pay that $50 vendor fee, you got to first pay another fee. (laughs) And that was hard. It was a hard thing for us to do um, and to pivot in. But we also really had to trust the value that we were bringing right? Like we bring a lot of value in our time, our time, the way that we are passionate about makers valuing their time. We weren't valuing our time. We were being a bit hypocritical. Um, and so we did a bunch of research, you know, industry average for what we do, the vendor, the membership fees for collectives like ours range from 25 to $75 a month. Our fee is 120 for the year or 15 a month. And we wanted to keep it, for us, we wanted to keep it approachable. That was really important. And full transparency, we lost a lot of people in that transition. And that was hard. And I'm a people pleaser. And so I pushed really hard for this. And then I was like, wait, 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 no, no, no. And Jesse's like, you convinced me that this is what we're supposed to do. And thank God for Jesse because we stuck to our guns in a way. Um, and we really believe that there's a lot of value add. So as hard as that article was to read around access, I mean, we have a mailing list of, you know, over 5,000 people now that you can, you can post your blog to. Um, we have access to a physical brick and mortar. We have access to pop-up events and not just our events, but we curate for some of like the largest outdoor venue pop-ups in Reno Tahoe. And so we, we really had to like sit in confidence with the opportunities that we were providing and the value that that $120 a year was going to give to someone. Now, the article talks a lot about a lot of other things and it talked about a lack of diversity and our lack of inclusivity and representation. And that's hard in Reno. Yeah. It is. Um, and I think we could like, sit back and rest on that laurel and say like, well, it's Reno and it's hard and like, we're not that diverse. Um, But we had a a number of makers that reached out that have worked with us for years and um, that provided us with really beautiful perspective. And we changed our lens because of that. Um, One example, we had um, a maker who reached out and she shared, she was like, you know, I had you guys have done so much to promote my business. You shared my business in stories. You've put me in newsletters, but never once have you showed my face. And as a woman of color, I know that's not intentional, but it matters to me. It's always been product highlights. 
It's like, well, fuck, that wasn't intentional. Someone said, you know, I, I know how hard you guys work and I know it's not intentional, but at the last market, you put all of your vendors of color at the back of the market. Well, fuck, that wasn't intentional. Like the sitemap actually had everybody in a different place, but people showed up late and then we were just trying to like make everyone fit. It wasn't intentional. Our greatest takeaway from the dozens of conversations that we've had since that article is that we now understand what it means and what our responsibility is to amplify underrepresented voices in that we have a responsibility to be intentional. It's not about shit that happens unintentionally. It's about our responsibility to be intentional. Because to us, we are inclusive. Like, to us, like, I'm a first generation in the U.S. Like, I'm, I've identified as Latina my whole life, but I'm white assumed. And so it's, it's hard to read something that feels like it's so opposite of like who you are and your values and what you do. And, um, and yet there's truth in it and there's responsibility that we, you know, we get the, the opportunity and the privilege to take. Sorry for my ramble. Again. No, no, I, I thank you for, for talking about that. Cause I think it's one of the interesting things that we do deal with as, uh, as business people, as media people, as people in general, uh, in being aware of, diversity issues that we might not see ourselves unless someone points it out to us. And so I thought it was a really interesting thing in the last couple of months to see, um, you know, the response from both the media side, from people who uh, have worked with you before, and also now to kind of hear your experience of that. Because a lot of times uh, it really sucks to be talked about rather than talked to. And so I, you know, read a lot of comments and I heard you talked about a lot. Uh, but it's it's nice to actually talk to people about you know what they've learned from experiences and stuff. So yeah, thank you for sharing on that. Um, to go back to kind of like the retail business a little bit, my experience of retail is uh, is almost all bad. I've I've worked in retail for a long time. Uh, I worked for uh, for H and M, so I worked for like a a giant multinational fast fashion. Um, really uh, like high productivity, low, low culture, I would say kind of environment. I mean, it's, it's fashion kind of, but uh, it's nothing at all like the local maker kind of environment. Uh, so what is your background in working with kind of more traditional retail environments? And what have you taken from that uh, that you want to do or that you don't want to do? Are there things that you learned from working in regular retail where you're like, oh, hell no, we are not bringing that to what we're trying to do? Um, I don't have a traditional retail background. Um, I did grow up in a family business that was more of a like distributor and wholesaler. Um, but my experience with, um, retail culture, I think like where my journey start, sort of started and led to wandering is just in um, farmer's market culture. Um, so not a direct answer to your question of traditional retail. I'm, I'm going kind of the opposite there. But I just remember um, I moved from Southern California to Santa Cruz to go to school. Um, and for me, I call myself a SoCal survivor. I kind of like, I fled as soon as I could. It was never never a, pl a, a place that, that resonated for me. As soon as I got to Northern California, I took a big sigh of <laughs> relief and was like, oh my God, this is where I'm supposed to be. Um, 
And I think for me, the most profound experience of like just commerce and community through my college years was um, the really beautiful farmer's market culture that exists in Santa Cruz um, and that experience of meeting the person who has grown your food or crafted your bread or weaved a basket or um, it really just like moved me and totally changed my perspective of um, my, my valley girl perspective of uh, name brands and label clothes and you know that was definitely a part of, of, of my experience growing up um, and I think Rachel and I interestingly connected on that a little bit from different places but just that um that experience of like artisan made, craft made, intentionally made, and like how that how that can move people and create connections and create community. And um, for me, my background was more in food and agriculture, but it has like evolved and translated in this um, into our artisan marketplace, a little bit less food focused, but. Um, yeah, I think I kind of, I'm not sure that I directly answered your question. <laughs> oh, no, totally. Well, you mentioned the farmer's market, which I think is a really good kind of overlapping type of business for its local people. It's, you know, there are, there are makers at the farmer's market, too. It's not all food. There are people who are like leather craftsmen. There are people who are selling goods that they make at the farmer's market. So I do think there's kind of that overlap. Yeah. And, and Rachel, you mentioned that you came from Portland and the, the Burnside market. And I lived in Portland for a few years. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh, it's, hey. this, it's this weekly market where you do have makers. And there is something special about that when you are especially only exposed to the word world of you know, big box retail, traditional indoor malls, uh, to have that kind of different model and apply it from your background of more food. But, you know, it's kind of seeing the value in the farmer's market model and being able to adapt that to just the retail goods. Um, I think there is a strong overlap in those two things. It's, it's really funny. Jesse is like my balance in so many ways. I come from big box retail. <laughs> so like we, we are, very different in that way. And <clears throat> I was with Apple for a decade before leaving and starting wild. And we talk about this a lot as we're building a company and as we have employees. Um, I didn't leave Apple because I didn't still drink the, I still fucking drink the Kool-Aid. I love Apple. I bleed Apple. I like love the products of the company. I love everything they do. And you want to talk about a, a big box brand that like gives back to the world. Like I'll tell you all about it. And there's like an, a dark underbelly to a lot of organizations and companies, but um, still loved it. Um, I left because, because I didn't want to lead hordes of people anymore. Like that didn't feel, ironically, like that just didn't feel good. Um, and now we find ourselves in this space where we have a, a you know, we have six employees and we're leading teams again. <laughs> And, and Jesse actually largely leads our team and I'm just happy to be here and that's great. Um, a lot of the culture of what I learned in that time in working for Apple, we really try and bring to our team here. So whether it's figuring out how to offer healthcare, how to offer paid time away, paid holidays, how to create like a beautiful work-life integration, like we really try and bring that to our team um, so we think it's funny now cause we're growing when I think about 
the retail culture and what we came from, a lot of what we want to take from that and bring into our company centers around like the internal customer experience and, and frankly for us, a curation and how much thought we put into the vendor experience and the shopper experience for us comes from this like beautiful hybrid of artisan farmers markets and Apple retail. And so it, it's fun to see that come to life in our space now. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to have kind of like that, that combination of backgrounds. And experience. I also worked at Apple very briefly in Apple retail. And one of the only things I remember is one of the ideas they had of fearless feedback and the love they, fearless feedback. Yeah. So they, they change your marriage. Yeah. They, they encourage, <laughs> encourage employees basically to be able to give feedback to each other, to be able to respond openly without being afraid that you're obviously you don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. You need to be respectful. But when we hide our feedback, then no one can benefit from it. Feedback is actually a really valuable thing. I'm going to pause for a moment. Speaking of feedback, I just did a Reno podcast (laughs) survey. So if you are listening to this, you should go to the Instagram and click the link. There's a survey for Reno podcast listeners because feedback is super duper duper important. If you try to just guess what people want, um, you're going to guess wrong a lot of the times. If you try to guess why someone bought something or didn't buy something, you're going to guess wrong a lot of the time. So that's one thing that I did appreciate from a you know big retail environment with Apple is an actual kind of life lesson that you can use in any type of business. So it's, uh, it's good to hear that some of the, the things you, you experience there have come to the wild business as well. It's the holiday season. Feedback is a gift. Unwrap it. As cheesy as that is, like feedback's a fucking gift. It really is. Like just like truly, I know you're giggling back there because it's so cheesy, but it's true. Unwrap that shit because it's so good. All the meat, peel back the layers. It's really nice. And it's valuable too. So I I did an episode like uh, much, I think maybe last year uh, with Yelp. So I had Michael Tregash, who's like the, the Reno Yelp manager. And he used the term, the, the feedback economy that it's actual value in feedback. And that's what Yelp basically is. It's just like it's a feedback machine um, that generates money and advertising and those kind of things. But the core product there is feedback on your business. Um, So yeah, the the actual monetary value of feedback is something that I think business people need to be aware of. Yeah. Um, So you mentioned the Virgil, so this this space that you also co-own. I'd love to learn a little bit more about the Virgil because that's a different experience. I know you've had some of the pop-up markets there. Uh, it was a co-working space, but that you said is not I- an ideal business model. I know it's also a it's a wedding venue. It's an event venue. Can you talk a little bit about? Did you stumble into the wedding business? What has it been like being a retail people who are just like, oh shit, we're wedding planners now? Is that is that what it's been like? Those, those words have been said <laughs> multiple times in the last year. Um. <laughs> we just wanted an affordable co-work. <laughs> That's all we wanted. We wanted somewhere that didn't cost $300 a month for people to come and work during the day where you had bottomless coffee and great Wi-Fi and that it was sexy to work, right? It was bright. It was vibrant. And we weren't sitting on our living room floor. Love old world coffee, but maybe where we weren't spending our entire life savings on coffee at old world. Um, so yeah, we... <laughs> We started the Virgil. The Virgil is a community gathering space, and it truly is. Um, Cowork was the precipice for starting it. Uh, we're a wedding and events venue. <laughs> 
who is open for co-working during the day. (laughs) Because why have like one of our core values and this is not a value statement, but one of the things that we like take a lot of pride in is like access. Why have these beautiful, incredible spaces and then only make them accessible if you have a lot of money? Or only make them accessible during certain hours of the day. We're like, well, if you're going to be spending 16 G's a month on rent, you might as well make it open as much as you can. <laughs> so we um, we met this developer, the, the guy that gave us that sh- our first pop-up shop on Wells. Um, he was like, hey, you guys still want to do that, that co-working thing? We're like, no, thank you. <laughs> No money there. And we were already like, markets don't make money. Nothing. We're not doing another thing that doesn't make money. Um, and we're not greedy people. We're just like, we don't want to necessarily keep losing money. That's not smart. Um, and, and he was like, oh, no, I just really think you need to see this building. <laughs> so we go and we see the building. And he strategically puts us on a FaceTime tour with this guy from San Diego who owns and operates like the largest co-work in Southern California. And, and I'm really confused as to why we're on this tour and also on this weird FaceTime with this guy we don't know. And I'm like, are we trying to lease the building? Is this guy trying to lease the building? And like, you want us to sell him on Reno? I'm super confused. Um, this guy, his name's Jamie, uh, Jamie Miller. He's our business partner in the Virgil now. (laughs) Um, Jamie's an awesome human who truly understands like the value of building community and and got got the vision quickly. And Craig and Scott Dews are are the developers kind of like really passionate about Wells Avenue and what's happening there. And it was the old U.S. bank building and that building deserved something epic. Right. Like that that building deserved to be open to the community for sound baths and yoga classes and concerts and holiday parties and weddings and celebrations of life and like all of these incredible things. And yes, co-working. And so um, we happenstanced into this and Jessie in her bold and audacious way said, I love you. I will never participate in wedding planning. (laughs) Be super clear like that. I draw a boundary there. I'm not trying to be in the wedding industry. I don't want to be in the wedding industry. I was like, cool, but (laughs) co-working? We're going to have a co-working space. And so we're here and weddings dominate our lives. But... um, but it is great. And the, the co-work community is building. We have private offices that are all fully leased. Um, it's, a, it's, a cool, it's a cool space to see come to life. We've learned a lot in a year and a half. Um, Cosmic Hearts, I know you did an episode with them. Um, they have a monthly recurring sound bath there. They fill the space with beauty. And that space is truly a gift and a gathering place for the community. And I think more than the co-work, more than the wedding, is like that's what... like makes us cry is when we get to like sit in on a listening room event or attend a sound bath and be like, fuck yeah, that's why we're here. Yeah. The first time I went to the Virgil was actually a networking event. I think it was shortly after it opened and it was just kind of an open networking coffee thing. And that was the first time I'd seen the space and first time I'd been there and it was really amazing. And I know networking is a big part of what Wild does too. You do the Wild Women networking event. So can you talk a little bit about both kind of uh, the networking and the cooperation with other businesses and people and just networking is a huge part of any kind of business. I actually hate traditional networking events because I feel like they're very awkward, but it is a big part of how you establish connections and make relationships. And I know with Wild Women, it is very much a women-focused, women business owners. So can you talk a little bit about the networking piece and kind of the the Wild Women part of the 
the wild world. <laughs> yes. She's rubbing my arm, which means she will not talk on this one. <laughs> um, first of all, can we just like give it up for Jesse for sitting on stage being amplified with sound right now? I know, Introverts she on that. the microphone. I love that. Yes. So good. I literally just put her face on social media and she was like, I'm sorry, what are we doing? And I was like, you don't have to. But you do. Um, yeah, Wild Women Networking was a really, we were in a weird business. Let's just also put it out. You called it earlier the wild world. People call us all the time. They're like, the wandering, the wandering women of the world. <laughs> wandering, the wild, the wild wandering women. N- no, cool. So we've created a, a somewhat confusing business, which we get. It, to us, it makes a lot of sense. Um, when we started Wild Market, we were like, wow, there's so many female creatives. We just need to get them together to like talk about stuff. And um, one of the things I led at Apple was I was a, a women in leadership, like community leader for Apple and really deeply believe in the power of storytelling. And so Wild Women Networking is a community program that we run. And we have three chapters, one in South Lake Tahoe, one in Truckee, one here um, in Reno. And it's really just set. It's a heart centric networking event that is committed to helping women gather to connect, learn and be inspired from the women around them. We believe there's tremendous power in storytelling and we believe in collaboration over competition. So we say fuck it to the traditional networking events that say like you can only have one CPA and you can only have one social media marketer. And it's like, no, the more the merrier. Because if we, as women, like when we gather and we fight over pie, right? Like you're used to being the token woman at the table. It's like, oh, fight over the same piece of the pie. No, just bake another fucking pie is what a mentor of mine once told me. Um, And it turned out, (laughs) you can giggle, turned out to be uh, very true. And Wild Women Networking is that. It's uh, monthly, we call it monthly-ish because we do not gather every month anymore also not sustainable. Um, now that we have three chapters. So we're a monthly ish networking event and we bring women who are leading in different facilities and different sectors of our community to come connect, learn and be inspired by one another. And, um, many of them are makers or micro entrepreneurs. There is a through line. We're not like off doing crazy things that don't connect. Um, but sometimes they don't connect. So Excellent. Well, I'd love to take any, do we have any questions from our audience? I always like to do a little bit of audience Q&A for these events. Does anyone in our audience have any questions for our guests today? You can just say them loud. I'll point the microphone at you. How do we find out more information about getting involved with a presence in the market or in the, what did you call it? Wild women. And yeah, that word, but just the collaborative space. Yeah. And James? Nope. Okay. She's still saying no. Jesse did one question. That's great. <laughs> two, two questions. At least she two questions. a couple and it was awesome. Um, so if you want to get involved, we have a couple different ways you can get involved. There's this, if you want to speak at an event, uh, if you go to our website, there's a speaker application under the wild woman tab. Um, if you want to pop up at an event, um, probably just shoot me an email and we'll see what you figure out. There's an email markets at uh, wanderingwild.com. Wild's spelled with a Y because we like to be difficult. Um, make it extra hard for you to find us. Um, <laughs> we are just difficult. Um, so yeah, hit us up that way. And if you want to attend an event, you can visit our website, wanderingwild.com. Uh, go to the events tab and you can see all the markets and wild women events we have coming up. Awesome. Any other questions from our audience? 
No, excellent. Did we miss anything? Amazing. We did it. Well, thank you both so much for coming on the show. I really, really appreciate you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for folks in our audience for coming to attend. Love you guys. I'm trying to think how I normally close my episodes. I never know how to close out the live episodes. I will do that by saying thank you once again to our guests for being here tonight. Thank you so much to our audience for coming to the live taping tonight. And thank you to Black Rabbit Mead for hosting these events. Really fantastic to be here. And uh, thank you all so much. Have a great night. Thank you. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's special live episode of Renoites. We will be back with normal episodes, a whole new season in early January. So keep an eye on my Instagram. That's at Renoites. Again, if you have any guest suggestions, now is a great time to suggest them. Reach out, Connor, C-O-N-O-R at renoites.com, or just have them email me too. I love to hear from potential guests. Feel free to give out my email address to anyone you think might be a good guest for the show. And that's all I've got for you for now. See you in early January with brand new episodes of Renoites. (laughs) 